Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. I'm excited to be doing this again. Pete, how are you doing? This, you know, those videos where a person whispers to you and then you kind of ASMR. Go to sleep? Yeah, you'd be good at that. Oh. I think your kind of intro there was very relaxing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fundamentalists. Hi, Fundamentalist. everyone. Welcome yeah. to the Fundamentalists. Have you listened to that? Some people really love it. Some people get turned on by it. Yeah, it's so strange. I, lo- I, I follow a lot of uh, that said. I follow ASMR soap accounts where they cut soap. I've shown you the soap no. cutting videos. I went through a real phase where I was kind of obsessed with it, but there's the, <clears throat> a whole genre of Instagram videos and accounts that you can follow where it's somebody who's just diced up all of this hand soap and they take a box cutter and they take the blade all the way out and they just cut out all these, they cut it into cubes basically. And when they do, it's just very satisfying to watch. Is so that right? Maybe I can kind of understand the ASMR thing. Yeah. Wow, but it. you should check it out. It's like, yeah. little, like <laughs> those oddly satisfying videos, you know, that yeah. are like a little bit like paste or be something being crushed under a compressor. Um, I'll watch. I'll put, it's fun to put it on the background and you just kind of zone out. And, what, nice. and they literally are just cutting the soup. Yeah, I'll show you. It's 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 it'll be like pleasantly colored soaps, ah, like nice. tie dye or it'll have glitter on it, and yeah. then they'll just take it and cut it. And it's just like, you know, when you like see something and they're just slicing it into perfect pieces, and yeah. there's just something very like just satisfying about it. Obsessive, obsessive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's something just like, very yeah, obsessive, ritualistic. You're gonna about be it? able to cut. You're gonna cut that part too. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna cut it that way. Great, great, great. It's real yeah. fun. Uh, anyway. Um, yep. This is a podcast uh, where we explore the possibility of life before death, and we uh, we are a podcast that's made up of a comedian and a um, I would say philosopher, theologian, speaker, writer. Yeah, you have more titles than I do. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, we've been doing this for a while. We feel like it's better now than ever. So thank you guys who are listening and. Um, we're excited about future stuff that we're working on. Thank you to anybody who's been tweeting at us as well. Yes. And uh, Instagramming and just sort of, I've gotten your DMs as well. And, and you've saying such a kind thing. Somebody said something so nice about, they said I was too self-deprecating about the tangents I go on. And that oh. I shouldn't feel bad about that because it really adds something to the podcast. So um, there is one person out there. There you go. Yeah. Do you find them? That's um, nice. I yeah. found my demo. Like, yeah. And he like is great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice guy. But um, I'm so excited about this episode, so I don't want to bore with like stuff because um, yeah. I love the subject matter but uh, so the, the working title that we're d- doing is uh, facts care about your feelings um, I automatically think about folks like Ben Shapiro who who make a big thing out of facts don't care about your feelings yeah and um, we're living in a very tumultuous political climate right now and yep. a tumultuous uh, tumultuous social climate as well so I am excited to hear your hot take and spin on all Ooh, this Pete. exciting yeah yeah okay well Let's start. The reason why this was on my mind is because I'm about to embark uh, on a seven-week course on a book called The Sublime Object of Ideology by Slavoj Žižek. And so I'm taking a group of people through the book. So I've been kind of immersed in it myself for the last little while. And I thought it would be really interesting to do just a little bit of an introductory kind of conversation about what is ideology cool and how does ideology relate to facts okay that was kind of the inspiration do you believe in facts pete are they are is it is there such a thing as a fact uh, yeah well that that is it that's a big question mm-hmm. but <laughs> um, it sounds like bs but i yeah. figured you'd have something to say if yeah. i asked this so i'm just curious if you if you or if that's not even remotely where your brain is at right now. Yeah, well, no, you know, in a nutshell, I would say yes. I would argue that there are ways in which our mind can... If, if you're talking about fact as a type of like a, 
uh, a reflection of reality yeah that okay. that is accurate then yeah you know i go i think definitely um the mind can can have accurate representations of reality which is actually what ideology is the opposite of ideology is any system that obfuscates and mystifies uh objective reality okay so actually you know that's a good place to start is going like well let's talk about how reality is often covered over cool. so for example an ideology in a very the most basic form of ideology is if if uh, uh you say why is it raining and i say well it's the gods the gods are making it rain that is obfuscating and mystifying very normal natural reasons why it's raining okay cool or if it's in feudal times and you're a lord and i'm your uh, servant your valet uh, and I'm like, why do I have to serve you, Elliot, you know, breakfast every morning? Mm -hmm. And you would go, well, that's because God made it that way. Yeah. You know, the, there is a natural chain of being and I am higher up on that chain of being. Uh, so that's that's ideology. Okay. Because it's, again, obfuscating the truth of the social relations, which is, just, I happen to have been born contingently uh, in a poor village, sure. and you were born in a in a castle. Pert by happenstance. Yes, exactly. Um, and obfuscate means to hide something behind something else or to cover over. Yeah, yep. Very okay. good. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good thing to clarify. Yes, kind of to eclipse or to confuse, to mystify. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, so if so, ideology because people can hear that and be like, oh, I'm not ideological. I don't have, but we all, I'm assuming, have some kind of ideology and all that. So I don't. Yeah. I mean, whether it's you believe that the universe is is a cosmic uh, wonder thing and it's pushing toward it, or there's a religion aspect or political sort of like society is. <clears throat> out to get me are these all would they do these all fall under the umbrella of ideology yeah and, and the, the question and i don't know if we'll get to it today but the question is whether there is any way to be outside of ideology which is what you're asking is mm -hmm. like and and that connects with your question of facts because in a sense although i want to say that yeah we can have insight into the world um, i am drawn to the idea that to be human is to have a certain distortion there is a subjectivity brings a certain distortion, a certain misrepresentation into the world as well. So it's not that we don't know anything, but that uh, the question is whether you can be post what's called post ideological, whether you can free yourself from ideology or whether the freedom isn't acknowledging the misdirection becoming uh, aware of it sure yeah and and i'm i'm more in the latter but again we don't need to get necessarily go that direction but we can i think people kind of yeah. know if they've listened to the podcast if they know your work yeah. i think they can kind of grasp yeah. that i think that's i don't think we need to dive too much in that, yes into that, yeah. i think the spoiler alert for most of the sort of many of the 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 talks that we have is sort of like yeah you, you, you learn to live with this you yes, like it yes. and enjoy it and uh and so yeah i think that's all all good but um I'm very interested in the ideology and the facts and how they care about your feelings. Yeah. I just, it's all very exciting. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. So, yeah, because initially the original type of ideology was simply the idea that, like, basically apologetics. You have a system and then someone rationalizes why that's the way it has to be. Mm -hmm. So an ideology almost makes historical things eternal, atemporal. It's just the way it always was. It's the way that it will always be. Um, but ideology is a bit more interesting and complicated than that. Um, and uh, in contemporary world, we can often be very aware of 
how the world works, a power dynamics, or we can kind of like think we can be very cynical about the world. And yet still ideology kind of continues to function behind our back. So yeah. that's kind of what I, what I want to kind of delve cool. into. Um, but one other thing about ideology, which is really key, and this is what Slavoj Žižek brings into the picture, and he's very good on this, is ideologies have what's called a sublime object. They have, there's a dimension, there's something that is connected to all ideologies that attaches to them. So, for example, in anti-Semitism, uh, there is the figure of the Jew, right? So the figure of the Jew is this individualist community who are controlling everything, who have the banks, who control media, who are basically pulling the strings behind uh, various governments, yeah. right? Um, and that's a type of sublime object, because a sublime object is some object that isn't in the world. It's something that is kind of like a hinted at by things that are in the world but doesn't actually exist so if you look at if you look at a sunset you might think about beauty but you don't touch beauty beauty is like a sublime notion um, so this figure of the jew is a sublime notion in a weird perverse sense in that it doesn't necessarily cohere or doesn't cohere with any reality at all but people see it so for example somebody will like try to uh they'll look around and they'll they'll try and find evidence that backs up this notion yeah but there is no empirical it's it's basically you bring it into the world it's prior to your experience and you 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 it's like a filter an instagram filter you use it to view the world um, um i would like to talk about gogurt for a second uh yeah. i do you know what gogurt is no no idea so gogurt uh pete is a <clears throat> children's snack that was highly marketed to my generation in America and our youth. And it basically is, um, it is a, uh, yogurt. Yeah. I kind of guess it might be a yogurt. Yeah, yeah. And it's put inside of a long cylindrical tube, not unlike, um, a mayonnaise packet that's very big. Um, right. and I was hanging out with my girlfriend last night and she revealed to me that she has had a long-standing hatred of gogurt and that she believes that it's basically like eating sweet mayonnaise, which is very funny. If you are familiar with Gogurt, it looks disgusting. And But then as the conversation progressed, she also revealed that she does not believe that anyone in our generation ever actually ate Gogurt, but that we were instead told that Gogurt was delicious and it was a phenomenon, and we all think we've had it, but no, no one actually has. Uh-huh. And that led to a discussion where it was a ping-ponging discussion where I was cracking up and she was being very funny and then I killed it by bringing in how advertising and things like that and tells you that you want certain things and it tells especially kids it tells the kids that they want like you know tricks and lucky charms and all that stuff but they don't they're sort of like informed of that and later times and I thought of that when you talked about the sublime sort of object of that Jewish thing it's like you're told this is out there and then retroactively you're like oh there must be all of these bad things around it or oh you see tricks oh that must be the cereal that all the kids are eating and therefore I must need it too and it's like your pro the iPhone is like we have to have the iPhone because Apple tells us that it makes us 
you know, basically human. So anyway, yeah. that's um, <clears throat> Gogurt is the same thing as what you're talking about. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's it's you bring it into the world, and then it it you find the facts to back it up. Yes, is that right to kind of? Sure, yeah. It comes into the world. You was yeah. I mean, I guess I don't uh, know. Yeah, I just it made me think of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like. Well, you can't Emmanuel can't bring in. This is too much philosophy, maybe, but he called this a synthetic a priori. Which means synthetic means it's a synthetic a priori a priori also sounds like a way of describing gogurt. But anyway, go yes, ahead. <laughs> we'll see if we can bring it back to gogurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is uh, a synthetic statement. Is a statement that is not logically the 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 conclusion isn't in the premise. So if I say all bachelors are unmarried, that is an analytic statement because uh, unmarried is yeah. in yeah bachelors. But if I make a statement saying you know. Uh, people who uh, are short like Gogurt. That's a synthetic statement. It has to be proven or disproven in the world. Uh, And then uh, a priori means prior to experience. So Kant creates this distinction where he says there are some things that are synthetic, i.e. they're not logically correct or incorrect. They're just this statement, but they're prior to experience. We don't experience them in the world. Uh, We bring them into the world. So ideology well, that, is like that. I followed that, but that felt like my brain was uh-huh. stretching. Yeah. Like being like being <laughs> pushed through a small plastic tube, not unlike a tube of Gogurt. I don't know why I'm doing this bit, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. But uh, yeah, I think like I your career. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that my career is Gogurt. People think it exists, but no one's no, ever no, really no one's seen ever it. seen it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The synthetic apron. So let me just. So I'm oh, yeah. understanding, and maybe there's someone else out there who doesn't quite understand. So a synthetic, a synthetic statement would be like, um, uh, you know, straight white males all enjoy um, sushi. Yeah. And so that is a statement. Therefore, you could go out and prove that. But if you were to say it a priori, it means it basically is saying this is a statement that has is being seen as true, but actually has not been tested, and there's no real reality to it it's just sort of yeah you i guess i'm confused on the a priori part more than anything kind of yeah the a priori simply means it's kind of like a position you believe before you experience anything you bring it into the world of experience so it's it's not that so that with with anti-semitism it's there's no empirical evidence for it it's like you have this ideological view you have this object and then what you do is you go into the world and you find ways to justify it Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, all paranoia mm -hmm. is like that any position i think i see where you're going with this yeah i'm excited so an idea you know you're caught up in ideology here's a controversial example maybe right of what is not ideology but i'll use this from northern ireland to make it less controversial but uh there's a thing called bloody sunday uh, you two sing about it. It was a massacre. Um, uh, British soldiers opened fire during this uh, peaceful protest, and a number of people were killed. Um, so, if if you were nineteen seventy two, it happened. So, if you were in Bloody Sunday massacre, and you're uh, a Catholic uh, at, at that protest, and you see your friends getting shot, you will potentially rightly be uh, angry angry at the British government and at Protestants and have like a prejudice against them. That is not ideology as such. You know, that's your experience. Because there's an experience that led to it. Yes, and also potentially you can have experiences that will break it. So a lot of peace and reconciliation was about bringing Catholics and Protestants together and seeing that actually we're not that different and we've all had these horrific experiences. If if your view is able to be changed by empirical experience, 
you're not really caught up in that ideology. But if you can't be changed by evidence, if everything you see is you always try to find ways to justify and back up your position. And in fact, you use facts uh, to, to really argue the opposite. So for example, uh, there's an, I can't remember the philosopher's name, but use this example of if you think that all teachers are out to get you, and then I show you a really friendly teacher. You say, but you know, Mr. Hamilton was a lovely teacher. He was very kind to you. And you say, well, exactly. He, of course he'd be kind to me because he was grooming me. He's really actually evil. Yeah. Um, and he's going to, of course, be kind in order to hide that fact. So what you're doing there is everything is is interpreted in relation to the position. So it's like, okay, so a, it would not be ideology if you are doing a peaceful protest as a Catholic and you see Protestants in the British army gun down your friends and family, you would then have a sort of <clears throat> probably incredibly powerful, incredibly overarching uh, prejudice toward them, but it would be justified by at least your own experiences, something that you've gone through. And you could later potentially get past that with a presentation of the, these people coming coming together and uniting. And then you might go, oh, okay, they're not all horrible. I experienced yeah. something, you know, uh, one particular instance. So, and it's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, the idea of like if one person or one one thing completely prejudices you against a whole people group, that's not good. That's bad. Of course. But yeah, it's yeah. understandable. But it's, it's like not logically. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's not like, yeah, you're not, you're not like at a stalemate logically yes, or anything. Yeah. But if you, so say Bloody Sunday was like, say it didn't happen that way and say it was like a cat, Catholics that were protesting peacefully, but there was this one particular Catholic person who had, who was taught from day one that Protestants are evil and horrible, then he would, that, that he or she would be expecting a, a massacre to happen. They would be, they, when it happened, they would go, well, see, exactly. you know what I'm saying? Like that, I told you. And even though that they would go, oh, I knew this already, but what they they had a, a synthetic a priori. Exactly. Boom. That's it, boom. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, teach. Yeah, and and that's why a minus. Yeah, that's why ideology hides best behind true facts. So, if you are prejudiced already about some group, and then something happens, because and by the way, every group does bad things. You're always going to find evidence for any position. Yeah. If if you take except a whole people group, folk. except for Valley Foot crap. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have a you have a position, and you find you find evidence. Uh, and then you say, look, I'm not, I'm not ideological. There's the facts. Uh, what's happening is you're, you're, so the example, and you know, this example from Lacan, which says that if a guy is pathologically jealous of his wife and finds out that she has actually been unfaithful, he is still pathologically jealous. He just also happens to be right. Yeah. 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 Um, that is a, I love, I, I say that all the time. It's such a fun, that's, yeah. a, and that's probably, unfortunately, a fact that I have used to support my own ideology. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm like, you can be jealous and your wife can still be cheating on you. I'll say that crap all the time to people as, but I know it's what I have, I'm doing this. It's, uh, I added this like side joke about Florida um, in my Tampa set. And it was basically like, I was doing a little bit more material, making fun of Florida. And basically I was saying, I, I've lived in LA going on 10 years. And for several years, uh, people would talk to me about how, um, crazy Florida must be. It must be so crazy out there. And I would be like, well, actually, um, 
actually it's due to what's called the uh, Sunshine in Government Act, which is something that's in Florida that is like a um, law that basically says that any government or any um, uh, administrative stuff is public and open. It's open to the public. So any activity that happens behind the closed doors of any kind of Senate, any kind of whatever, the media has access to it. Therefore, a lot of the headlines that come out about Florida and like Florida man and all that stuff that are like, so-and-so robs a pizza hut with a water gun while wearing flip-flops or wearing flippers. Those details are available because of the government and sunshine act and other States details on crimes like that aren't available to the media. Ah. So the headlines are much more mundane place gets robbed place gets whatever. So, and I would go, so it's not really that Florida is crazy. It's actually this government and sunshine and the, 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 not even it's like a half punchline basically it's i was like do do you ever know that feeling when you can actually feel yourself bullshitting even if you're saying true things like i know that the government and sunshine act is a real thing and i know that that is what allows details to be um to be leaked to the media but i was using that fact as a way of justify or a way of saying that florida isn't crazy um and that was my sort of like oh no florida's not crazy it's got this thing going it's got this thing going on and then i was like oh no florida's still crazy <laughs> like it's still an insane place it might have this act that makes it more open and available florida yeah. is still an insane place to live and i was defending it so hard for so many years and basically the the ending is just like i don't do that anymore i'm like no you're i know about the government and sunshine act it's still an insane place so to that, live. So that's the ideology? Yeah. I think that's the well, ideology. Well, sure. Because yeah, yeah. actually you've got empirical evidence that of why of why Florida looks crazier than other states. But, but you I still also, believe it is crazy. But I also not to compare it to, to Bloody Sunday because I'm sure that's, I'm not from there, so I'm <laughs> sure that's a big deal. But I've lived in Florida. So I know it's crazy. Yeah. I've seen the crazy. There's no government and sunshine act that, ah. has, that, to, that you know, like hid or showed me my own crazy experiences with that place or you, this is the perfect example of ideology is that it actually, might be the perfect uh, example you know, you've got you've got evidence you kind of whatever but it you're is seeing that, what you see you're right it is people going florida is crazy everyone knows florida is crazy yeah. and then they see these things they see these headlines go florida right and it's like no like that's not i mean yeah it is yeah. crazy, but at the same time, it's like there's more going on here. But you can also, it, I felt in that moment like I was using a fact to support my own insecurity uh, about yeah. where I was, where I'm from. And so then I came to the conclusion that I just do, I do think it's it's insane. insane. But there's some <laughs> kind of connection there. I don't know yeah. exactly what it is, but it's something. I know. I'm trying to figure out whether whether it's just you've got this a priori view that that Florida's crazy or whether it's actually an empirical thing who knows saying? yeah who knows we'll have to ask the Floridians that's the difficulty I mean money's a great example of this because within capitalism money is the, is the sublime object because in a way it's funny if you just use money to buy nicer things right if you just like want to get money and you say, even if you're really greedy and just want loads of money just to buy silly things you're still not caught up in the idea of money as a fetish object as a sublime object but when you start treating money as if it's magical, as that if, does sound like greed, though. That's not. That's how I would define greed. Not like somebody who just wants a lot of money because they want a bunch of stuff. Sounds like somebody who's just like that. Doesn't sound like greed, like to me, because they don't. It doesn't feel like they're tied to it the way that greed yeah. makes you tied to it. But that's all mine. Well, so well, so here's the thing, and and maybe this is a way to use the word greed, like to, to use the word greed in this way, but. And this is where it gets really bizarre and really I'm, interesting. I'm, let's do it. Let's yeah. dive in. Is um, 
is that, right, if you're selfishly, Kant called it pathologically, if you're pathologically interested, it means you're just basically calculating, you want the best, right? You want, you're, you're thinking what's going to cause the most pleasure, the minimum pain. So if you're pathologically connected to something like money, you're using it for your own good or yeah. for the good of others, but you're, you're thinking about it in terms of its value uh, for getting stuff. But if you just want money for the sake of money, as in the abstract increase of wealth, so you just want more and more like zeros in your bank account, mm -hmm. um, but you're not using the money, which is like the miser. The miser is the one who, who doesn't want the stuff that money can buy. They weirdly connect directly with just having money. And that's weird. And when you think about it, it's weird because money, what's good about money is that you can, you know, buy a car, you can buy a TV, you can do things. But the with miser it. will buy a crappy car so he has more yeah, money. Yeah, more money. And it's and the miser and the capitalist, are, you have a similar logic here. If you just want to increase money without using it for pathological reasons, for your own self-interest, that's kind of where you're treating money as this magical object. And it is funny, when you hold a $5 in your hand, right, the note, you can crumple it, you can tear it, you can dirty it. But the monetary value remains exactly the same. So it's like a sublime object. There's this something that's contained in this empirical note, this piece of paper. It's kind of fascinating. It's fascinating. You, yeah. And if it gets really broken up, you can bring it to a bank and they'll replace it. Because yeah. what 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 the, the note is just um, a profane material embodiment of this thing called value. So the idea is that the ideology is whenever you're no longer connected with material empirical reality but you're connected with these these sublime eternal atemporal notions yeah so i think when when money becomes just you want more money but without thought of as i go out going and spending it money's become a magical object to you it's become yeah. a sublime object to you and you're caught in ideology and here's the weird thing we're like to call it capitalism capitalism yeah um and this is called jouissance. Jouissance is it's jouissance is really bizarre. It's like an it's an excessive it's a dip that you put your chicken you, in your put your. Like, it sounds like the name of some kind yeah, of. I was going to say it's the new Gogurt, but it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bring, I'll bring Gogurt back before. Yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get back to Gogurt. I think that has to be the analogy it is, for the whole thing. It is a trash. It's a tr it is insane that they they put yogurt. Yeah. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> um, we we get pleasure from doing things right from like uh all sorts of things in daily life from having coffee going out for friends all of that right but there is this weird dimension of where we can get pleasure from the renunciation of pleasure so the most obvious example is nazism fascism where the fascist is the one who renounces pleasure they want to fight and die for their cause and the whole thing about fascism is you know the ultimate sacrifice, sacrifice, yeah, sacrifice, yeah. sacrifice, sacrifice. but when you look at nazi uniforms they're just so fetishistic and so full of pleasure and so what's weird is the renunciation of pleasure is the pleasure mm -hmm. right the, and it's not for some end goal it's like the very the very thing itself is pleasurable but in a disavowed way, in a way that nobody will talk about, a way yeah. that's that's hidden. And in ideology, uh, Shizek argues that there is this kernel that often you attach to, and it doesn't have any empirical 
value. It doesn't have any use value. It doesn't improve your life. It's not. It's beyond utilitarian calculation. You attach to it completely. You sacrifice yourself completely to it, and you get pleasure out of that. And it's and that pleasure is called surplus enjoyment. It's called jouissance. Cool. And you see, again, the difference is if you're trying to make money to have a better life and to spend it. Whether that's good or bad, you're not caught up in ideology. When you sacrifice everything, family and friends and health, for the increase of capital to your own detriment and the detriment of other people, then you're not doing it for some utilitarian calculation, but you're getting some pleasure in this weirdly uh, obsessional act, and that's called jouissance. Okay, cool. And there's jouissance in ideology. Jouissance. Jouissance. Am I saying yep. that? Okay. Yep. Um, so Which you, comes from the French orgasm. It's basically a kind of orgasmic. It's a PG-rated yep. uh, podcast. <laughs> Please don't get adult on this right now. Um, this is that's your other podcast that you do. Ah, yes. Um, yep. Yeah, so, okay, so you get the, the you get something out of ideology that's pleasurable, and that's the jouissance or whatever. That's the feeling that you get, that sort of like thing that's mystical that gives you that whatever, I'm assuming, is that yeah. I kind of bounced around there and skipped over. Which is beyond things. empiricism. Yeah, jouissance, like you can get pleasure if you're if you're a fascist or whatever, and you, you can get certain pleasures out of that, certain certain enjoyments or whatever, but but there is this this other dimension. Like the miser doesn't get pleasure out of not buying the car. He gets pleasure out of uh not buying the car like he gets pleasure of the fact that he's not getting pleasure from the car basically yeah it's like the, it sounds like just a certain type of martyrdom like self-martyrdom just like yeah well the, the martyr that's a good example you know if you've met those people who will sacrifice themselves for other people all the time for their kids or for their their friends they just they just do it too much and in one sense you they're not happy about it. i'm always sacrificing for my kids but you can tell there's this jouissance in it yeah yeah, there's something that gives them life, that gives them meaning and purpose, and everything, and protects yeah. them probably on some level from any, any, yeah, uh, the rest of the life. So okay, yeah. so I think I have a firm understanding of the ideology thing. Yeah. In getting back to facts and feelings, oh, yes. and the kind of like, so the feeling we've covered the feelings, I guess, with the jouissance. Yeah. So yeah, I'm assuming that's related. And then I, I'm imagining if I were to guess where you were going to go. Yeah. Here's what, here's okay. what I'm going to, I'll okay. take it from here, Pete. Thank you so much. Thank you. For everything <laughs> you've done. Um, the, the, I do feel I'm bouncing around a lot. So if no, you it's good. I like it a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. I just, um, so the, the jouissant, um, this French orgasm you're talking about yeah. that people get out of whatever ideology they have. If you're like super capitalist might, or you're greedy or whatever you want to call it, the miser thing, you might get it, it you know, the pleasure out of viewing money as this sort of all powerful. The only thing I want to say to make sure it's clear about jouissance and, and regular pleasure is regular pleasure. There's a reason reg for pledge. it. Reg pledge, reg mm -hmm. pledge. You, there's a, you're getting something out of it. Jouissance is this weird thing in which you're not, it's not a means to an end. You're, you get the pleasure from this irrational attachment yeah beyond okay. utilitarian value now it, by the way it's the best of us and the worst of us love is that i mean love is mm -hmm. a, a is a attachment to somebody beyond utilitarian uh mm -hmm. calculation so what we're talking about again is that it's the best of humans and the worst of humans yeah uh is when you, you can call it divine and demonic like a demonic you can call and an excessive attachment to an ideology that is 
you know, fundamentally destructive. Yeah. But you could say love is a kind of a, a similar kind of like non-utilitarian attachment that is incredibly uh, positive. It's like the angel on the shoulder. Versus oh, yeah. The, so I'm sorry for yawning. It's been... It's been an evening, so I'm not trying. I'm not bored by this. I apologize <laughs> for uh, anyone listening to me on. But um, okay, so how then? What I'm interested in is the the connection between. Is it the is are people trying to protect their ideology and their, whatever by hiding behind as you were saying before, not hiding behind. That's probably using the wrong word, but using facts or kind of like. Um, the apologetics thing, I think, is such a great example. That's sort of like you're raised with the because I know in being raised in the sort of Pentecostal Assemblies of God Christian Church, the apologetics world was hugely appealing because it was like if you were one to question things and you were one to have kind of like, nah, some of this smells funny, um, then apologetics does a perfect job of kind of using logic to to justify this thing that you're is already ingrained you already have a bias toward in your brain so that i i understand and really like and it it helps me understand this whole thing it's also funny i have um a buddy uh who i adore i love him very much and he will use he'll use logic as sort of a way to make himself never have done anything wrong and it's like we all have that friend who's just like well actually if you hadn't done this and this and this i wouldn't have been da, 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 da. and it's like i don't know there's something to uh, an ideology of like well actually i'm perfect and i know uh-huh. i'm perfect and i am a, a, a holy creature that is without reproach and therefore if you come at me i will use maybe even true things to help justify or or reinforce the idea that i'm i'm the good one and i'm on the right side of uh, of this argument yeah no 100 percent, absolutely we all we and we all we all do it to a certain, certain extent but some people do it to an extreme and i think we're all caught in ideology to a certain extent so when you corral facts in a certain way when you own like and if you've got a twitter feed and the only articles you ever post are articles that kind of show your position as right as true um then potentially you're caught in ideology yeah or you know and, and I, or if i if i uh find a certain like if i have a certain prejudice and then i find evidence that's true like true things that have happened that are terrible in the world that this group of people have done but that's all i focus on um and then as i say the other facts either i don't focus on it at all or i turn it around and say well of course you know some of those people are going to be kind because that's the way they hide their evil then I'm caught in ideology. Basically, ideology is unfalsifiable. Yeah. It's an unfalsifiable position. My favorite is um, with, uh, and I, I don't know a lot about world religions, um, but when it gets into like the Islamophobia and sort of the, the like very heavy handed, you know, they're all terrorists and that kind of thing. It's, it's interesting to see the mental hoops that people go through. Cause it's like, I know people who are, Muslim and they're they're wonderful sweet human beings and when I mentioned that I was like well they just don't know about it they just yeah. don't they're not that you know they don't know da, da, da. and it's like that could all, st- still all be true that you maybe that person who's super sweet who's nice happens to not be an yeah. expert in their own religion I'm not an expert in my own religion it happens but they're still even if they're right they're still using it to just like just like oh I just gotta I gotta protect this I gotta protect yeah. this idea I have I gotta protect <laughs> yeah like I, I have a family member who um, doesn't use ATMs because she's scared of being robbed 
So she always goes into the bank and she also has other things she does as well, like always checking the locks before she goes to sleep and around yeah. the house. Now, the, empirically, as soon as you talk about it, it's like, it's obviously like, well, you can get robbed at an ATM. It's much safer to go into the bank. And of course, you know, check the locks before you go to bed. It doesn't take very long and it's, a, it's you know, safe, better safe than sorry. The, the point is that weirdly, it's every individual thing she does is rationally sensible and there's good reason to do it. But once you start putting them all together, um, in terms of not going into, not taking a taxi unless she's with somebody else, things like as soon as it starts you start, looking a little, yeah, yeah, it start you start to see that oh right, and this is called kind of uh, what would you call it? Um, the the come out the uh, uh, you call it the form of the ideology, which is everything makes sense, but there's something weird about the form itself. There is something that um, is distorted in the, in, 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 the, in the very description of how she lives that starts to make you think that there are certain antagonisms in her life that she is not dealing with that is being put onto this. So, because that's what ideology does. Well, ideology covers over antagonisms and contradictions in our individual and social life. Um, and it kind of tries to make it, it tries to smooth everything over. So when you see this protection mechanism, not using ATMs, locking the yeah. windows, not using taxes on your own, you start to go, is there something this person is um, trying to cover over in terms of an insecurity in their own life? They happen to lose a family member when they were very young, uh, not their psychologist, but I'd be interested in going, I wonder if there is a sense of a lack of security that that person had when they were young. And what you're seeing is an attempt to cover over that uh, that trauma with this kind of uh, you know way of trying to protect yourself in the house. It almost seems also as a way of recreating that whatever that trauma might be. If you're doing all of these things because you have to because you're fearful of this, it's like you're you're choosing to exist in a state of of constant paranoia and 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 like frenetic energy and it's yeah. like that's would i mean i imagine i'm not i don't know a lot about this stuff but i do enjoy it but like it, it seems like it would harken back to like that feeling of whatever that trauma might have been that like very terrorized feeling and that very unstable feeling and so they just go around recreating that feeling yes and that's what ideology it kind of covers over all of that with a narrative with a story and then you repeat it as you say like, yeah that's what mythology is like a myth is a way of kind of covering over the antagonisms and the questions of a society yeah. with a story. I, I Levi Struess is an anthropologist who's incredible on this stuff. Cool. But um but yeah, so that that Levi Struess. Levi Struess. How do you um, spell that? Um L E is the same as the gene maker. L E V I and then Struess. Yeah, people say Levi Struess, maybe you can say Levi Struess. I don't know how you pronounce correctly. Um so okay, so this is what else you got? Need more? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, on that on that notion of like what you're seeing with that that person is similar to what I see on YouTube. If I see a channel where the the only thing that person does is whatever position, liberal or conservative, whatever, is that all they do is show data and evidence that backs up their position. One or two or five or six are fine, but if you do that four or five times a week, that starts to look like an ideology that is hiding in facts. Like, so it's not that the facts are incorrect, but it's that the fa it's like the pathologically jealous man who happens to be right. It's like, is there something that you need? It's like a hypochondriac who needs their disease. Dude, it, it, and I, look, 
whatever. Yeah. I know I, we don't like to get too detailed with this type of stuff, yeah. but I don't give a shit. Because I think it's it's on all sides. It's on all sides. Yeah. It's easier to attack certain groups easier than others. To attack certain. I have my own biases. Yeah. I will say as a former fan, not fan, but at least formerly, I still probably respect him a little bit. I used to love listening to Ben Shapiro talk and listen uh -huh. to his debates and listen to his ability just to be like, like he just like he vomits facts um, mm. like a, like a maniac. Like yeah. he, and he's so good at debating and he gets so into it and he dials in and he's so incredibly articulate that it's nice just to, it's almost like there's like a melody to the way he speaks and it's very just like and I I was always very fascinated and it was interesting to hear him speak about certain things lately i think he's come under a lot of fire he went on like joe rogan's podcast and he sort of was talking about homosexuality and whether homosexuals should be allowed to get married and all this stuff which is just insane to me that that's that worse that they should be allowed yeah, yeah i know it's yeah, like okay. give me a break where do we draw the line yeah. um happy marrying dogs what's next i know gosh yeah. it's just a slippery slope uh but i what what drew me I realized, I was like, why am I no longer mystified by this dude? Like, I went through a phase years ago where I was like, listen to him and that whole, you know, the, 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 and there's some of them I still think are great. And I, I think so many on the left are bonkers as well, blah, blah. There's all the disclaimers you can throw. I don't, I don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, I, that's the biggest disclaimer. I don't give a <laughs> crap. Uh, but with him, I realized, I was like, this guy n knows too many things. I was like, this guy shouldn't, something about what he's doing just feels like going back to the Florida thing, that feeling of like, I just yeah. smell a little bit of the bullshit, even though I'm sure all of his facts are correct. And it's like facts, and then his, his, his pin tweet forever was, facts don't care about your feelings. It had, you know, tens and tens of thousands of um, favorites and retweets, and it's, I, I remember reading that the first time or hearing that idea and being like, yeah, like facts don't care about your feelings. And on one hand, that's a beautiful sentiment. Mm -hmm. Like there is, I, I was having a, a business phone call this morning um, about something and they, I said something. I was like, this is, this is a situation that, you know, we're dealing with. And, um, and he was like, the, is a business um uh, uh, advisor was like, well, if that's the case, then, you know, I, I don't know what to say, because if that's the case, then X, Y, and Z. Uh, and he kind of like pinged it back at me. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you because yeah. what I told you is, I was like, I, I, I was like, what I'm telling you is the case. I was like, so what you're saying, I was like, I don't know how to respond. I'm just telling you the reality. So if that means X, Y, and Z, then okay. Like yeah. I have nothing to say about that. So there is a certain element of like, there is like a, this is the, this is the deal that we're dealing with, but the facts don't care about your feelings thing. Um, why do people ironically get so excited about that? Like yeah. it's so self-defeating because it's like, I got my mantra. This facts don't care about your feelings. Like, why are you yelling it? Like, yeah. do you hear yourself? It's too, like you're, you're defeating your own argument by latching on to this thing so much. Yeah. And so when you brought this podcast subject up, that's why I was yeah. But, yeah, I mean, stoked about it. Not that I'm trying yeah. to throw anybody into the bus yeah. or anything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like, yeah, obsessive people who maybe have an obsessive structure, um, are more likely to get into this facts don't care about your feelings thing. So for an obsessive person, they really want to, want to get rid of any antagonism in life. They want to cover over any complexity um, to try to kind of like, so, so like obviously at a very simple level an obsessive tidies their room to, so as it's like completely clean, everything is in its place, or they have to, they count three, two, one, one, two, three, three, two, one, one, two, three, letting no 
kind of like inconsistency into the world. They have to touch taps the same amount of times, right? Uh -huh. They have to wash their hands or if 25 like, times. Why shouldn't gay people get married? And they're like, well, because of the, according to the events of the people that are this, and then if it's and actually statistically from a society, even from a secular perspective, and you're like, hang on, uh-uh, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. You, I mean, you're too into this yeah. to not care. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it seems like, and I don't, you know, it's difficult for me, but it seems like an obsessive structure. Like, obsessive structure is totally. when... When have you heard the guy? Yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to trash talk him. Yeah, because uh, I, I do. I would hate to go up against him in a debate, but because uh, he would throw all these facts at me. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah so. But but it is it is that like where if because that's what a mythology is attempting to do is said is like it's to try to cover overall because to be honest, every debate. Every issue is complicated. We want to simplify so much. That's what ideology does. It simplifies. But actually, as anybody knows who studies stuff, is like things are, it's not that you can't get anywhere, but just that yeah. they're more complicated. And then if you're in the dialectics, you're into, oh, there's, that's how argument, that's how progress is made in the sense that, in the sense of like splitting is the desire to simplify the world into goodies and bodies. But when you get into complexity, then you move forward. So complex, it's not the complexity grinds things to a halt. It's actually getting into a room and debating, discussing, going back and forth, learning from each other. Yeah. That's actually what generates novelty and new ways of thinking about society, new ways of solving problems. But a, an obsessive structure is one that also works in relationships, to... you know, or so oh, yeah. I've heard. There you go. There, yeah, there you go. That's good relational advice there. I'm not trying to make there. a yeah. lifestyle <laughs> podcast, but if you go, oh, I'm, I'm right and, and they're wrong, then you, once you start talking and uncovering it, you realize that that's not normal. Yeah. And then you just feed it. The more, like, you could start a small argument with slight disagreement and something on TV, mm -hmm. and then within 10 minutes, you're arguing like you're experts. Yeah. And it, it requires one person to be brave enough to say, to be honest, I don't really know what I'm talking about. And then the other person, they, they may go, ha, I won. Or they might more likely go, well, no, I don't know either. And then you have a productive conversation. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, uh, over the holidays, I got into a very heated conversation with my dad about politics in which I was giving him quote unquote facts. And I was doing the exact same thing. I just railed against Ben Shapiro on, which is going, no, this is, a, I'm telling you, this is a fact. This is the real. this is actually what, what the deal is. And, uh, and I remember my dad just being like very honest. And it was, it was a very profound thing when he was just like, I don't feel that way. He's like, I don't see that. He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not real to him basically. And then like days later we had this conversation where he was like, I just, I don't, to be honest, he's like, I don't really know a lot about that kind of stuff that you, uh, I think your thing is going, I don't know if that matters or not. Um, and then the moment he was like, yeah, to be, to be honest, I don't know. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't know either. I don't know either. And it was like, I was playing catch up all of a sudden. I'm like, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I, I was so very uh, enmeshed in my I'm right thing that it took him saying he was might be wrong first for me to then like piggyback on it and be like oh yeah yeah totally uh, yes and I'm also thing. Uh, yeah. smart enough to recognize when I might be wrong and definitely didn't latch onto this yeah and, obsessively and, the, yeah. and the, the worst the worst thing you get is an obsessive uh, arguing with an hysteric because you get this really weird thing where the obsessive is trying to cover over any antagonism and give all of these facts and reasons mm -hmm. for a position. And hysteric tends to completely get all the facts wrong, but their their affect, their feeling is they actually perceive the contradiction. They perceive a problem. They per they actually feel it probably in their life. There's yeah. something not working in social reality. They feel it in their body, but they're not able to articulate what it is right so yeah. you get this weird back and forth where on the surface it looks like the obsessive um is winning the argument 
because they have the facts. But actually, the thing they're missing, which the Asterix gets, is no, there is an antagonism in social reality that um, needs to be addressed. And that's what happened, I think, with Jordan Peterson that was and good Kathy. shit, dude. That was you just dropped some good stuff. Oh, is that right? That oh, was good. That was some good fundamental. That was prime fundamentals, oh. right? There. <laughs> it's A plus. I think yeah. I do that in most podcasts. There it is. There's that good stuff. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, yeah. But anyway, the yeah. Jordan Peterson and no, who? The, oh, uh, Kathy. Um, she was a, a journalist the, the for Channel, Channel Four. Four. Yeah. Um, uh, Kathy Newman, I think is her name. Okay. And you know, like on the surface, uh, Jordan Peterson, like you know, totally won the argument, but. But you could look at it and say that what Kathy Newman is articulating is actually that there is some sort of social antagonism in the current political climate mm -hmm. that is not some sort of external problem that can be reasoned away with facts. It's actually a social reality that has to be addressed with real action. And um, and so basically, but you get you get a, a, a debate that's very hard to read because it, it's uh, it, on the surface, it, does, it looks easy, but it does kind of feel like in America currently, there is the if to the the hysteric obsessive uh, yin yang is what divides the left and the right more so than anything yeah. else like the the left is very like, no, like there, this is a prop, like love, like love each other. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like don't be crazy. And then the right is like, well, according to the 2013 census, there's actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, as soon as I see that is funny. Cause I have watched some of these people, um, online and, and they, it's like, it's the, the, the falsity. This is what I'd like to say to them. If I was talking to them, like, no, the falsity isn't in your facts. It's in your obsessive need to do them. So if I'm talking to someone who's into apologetics, right? So they're a religious person. And this happened to me. I think I talked about it before. I was on a radio show with a guy who'd written like six or 10 books on apologetics. And he had a radio show three days a week about apologetics, about basically justifying the existence of God. And at one point he said to me, you was know, he like a, like a young earth kind of guy, like real he, hardcore? He probably was. He was a lovely guy, but he probably, he might've been, but he definitely would loved his apologetics yeah. he probably was a young arthur but a lovely guy really nice it was a great conversation but at one point he said to me oh, so he said so you're telling me that i should doubt that i should question i was like well no no i'm not i'm i'm not saying you should doubt i'm saying you're already full of doubt why else would you have written 10 books on apologetics mm -hmm. and have a show three days a week like there is something you're trying to cover over right your 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 obsession with the facts is not where the falsity lies. The, you know, the facts isn't where the falsity lies, it's the form itself. The form itself is the 10 books and the three day a week radio show. Yeah. That is telling you something that 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 is not being heard. Um, the uh, I remember when I was super into apologetics and being like, there was just this itch in the back of my mind that was like, if all this stuff is true, why is it that everyone isn't a, assemblies of god christian like if all of the apologetics if all of the logical like well if you look at the strata and then the the water came and then the ark was eden was in this area and like all that stuff if you really dive into that and you can you can really logically prove it the way that these books say you can uh and and do a kind of a good job like i i read some pretty heavy stuff that in the apologetics world from my age from yeah. you know how old i was and um i probably still would have a tough time understanding some of it because it builds and builds and builds on itself so much. But I remember just being like, yeah, but it didn't work. Like the facts that you're talking about, the apologetics, all of that, it hasn't led anyone to your, no one is getting, is converting to Christianity because 
if you look at the you know lineage of whatever yeah. you can see the continue it's like it doesn't like and i imagine that produces a massive level of anxiety and people like this radio show host who's written 10 books it's like i imagine there's some kind of deep thing of like i'm doing my life's work and no it's not working like, yeah, people yeah. aren't you know flocking to me the only people i'm talking to are people who already agree with me yeah well it's and interestingly in medieval scholastic theology there's this idea that you you believe in order to see you don't see and then believe you believe in order to see and that's how ideology works is like it's that that it's only when you first attach to, and this is what the whole, it's called hard kernel of the real, where you, you attach to the ideological dimension that's non-rational. You attach to it, you already believe it, and then you see it well, everywhere. This Okay, I can give you two times this has happened. One yeah. is Judy in the classic film, The Santa Claus, oh. in which she is speaking to Tim Allen after giving him a tour, uh, or Tim Allen's character, Scott Calvin, uh, she has given him a tour of the North Pole and he looks out and he's drinking hot cocoa and he just, he goes, I, I see it. I just don't believe it. And she looks at him and she says, oh, uh, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Yeah. We don't. Da -da 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 -da. And she has this whole cute monologue. And then there's also the scene uh, in the classic film Hook in which Robin Williams, Peter Pan uh, or Peter Banning. Uh, is at the table having a feast and uh, it says, let's say grace and Robin goes, bless this, O Lord and then all the lost boys go, grace and then they all just start diving in and they lift up all the pots and pans and there's no food in any of the, there's, it's all empty and all of a sudden he sees him, there's like, he sees his uh, buddy, um, uh, Tonks or whoever it was, he's like holding this big burger, but there's nothing in it. He's just imagining, ah, and he's just pretending the, the uh, food. And he's like, there's, and then Tinkerbell comes up to Peter Pan and he's like, why aren't you eating? And then Peter Pan is like, there's nothing here. I want steak. I want eggs. I want a cup of coffee. And then, uh, and then they, so well, you have to imagine it. If you imagine it, if you believe it's there, it'll be there. And then he just like, something happens and he opens his eyes and the whole table is just filled, filled with food with everywhere. Yeah, and it's yeah, the most delicious yeah. scene that every kid I imagine who saw that scene was just obsessed. At least I was obsessed with. Um, and yeah. so it's these, what that's it. And, and it's, and it's love. I mean, that's the thing why it's but like love is mm -hmm. you don't see until you believe. I mean, that's it. That's a perfect analogy. Of the meal is that it's not that you see something in a person and then you fall in love with them. It's you fall in love with them. And then you, then you see all these things because two people can see all of the same things in a person yeah. but one of them loves and one of them doesn't it's like there is something about this this initial act of commitment that then uh you know filters everything yeah so again like we're talking again the complexity of it this is not these are these are functions of subjectivity that have good and bad dimensions to them yeah so love is a, is a type of you know you you give yourself to it it's very um, nice yeah. It's not as interesting or fun to talk about though as all these, 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 these dingbats. But I also yeah. I enjoy watching a lot of these dingbats that I give a lot of crap toward, like the the sort of world of facts, facts, facts. This is about facts. If you're into facts, it's like I think the reason I push back is because on some level I'm like, yeah, facts are cool, man. Like yeah. I definitely am still, well, I, still I'm a part very, of me. I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of facts. <laughs> you know, I'm, my thing about them is again, I'm not against these people. I've watched Can them. Can I, I quote like you them. on that? Yeah. I'm a big fan of facts. I'm a big fan of facts, and I'm not against some of these people. I watch them on. There's a guy called uh, Tim. Mm -hmm. yes. I love him. Yeah, what's his name? Tim. You know him. You know who I'm talking about Tim. Tim. No, he's on Joe Rogan. Sometimes he's got his own thing, and he used to be part of Occupy Wall Street. Uh, Tom. Tim. I know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But very curious. I have no idea. Yeah, but my my issue is go like the only thing I'm interested in is is 
is if you're so obsessively arguing for a position like not going to the ATM or whatever it is, is that are you trying to frantically cover over a real antagonism that's much more complicated? Um, and and until until you kind of like face that, face that there's a there's a pleasure in this obsessive avoidance of the antagonism you know can you move forward and that's what i see in some of this obsessive you know uh, commitment to the facts the lie isn't in the facts the lie is in the form yeah and the form is seven days a week you're ranting at a computer screen for an hour yeah <laughs> you're going like that that that's a truth that is not at the level of facts it's at the level of ideology mm-hmm. um wow really delivered this is i feel like this is jam-packed personally I okay really like this yeah one. i like i enjoyed uh, that yeah i mean i'm i'm, in, I'm immersed in this stuff because i'm about to do you know teach this course yeah man it, so I'm, you I'm you were really you're it. firing on all cylinders for yeah. sure uh my uh my my only uh, takeaway uh, from this to conclude this episode of this uh podcast is um yeah i guess in my own experience the sensing my own bullshit using facts the the obsessive kind of tendencies that i have i'll probably be a little bit more wary of especially just in 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 talking to people because it's like i spe- i i know when i talk to people i can come off like a robot and i can come off sounding like i'm completely detached emotionally from what i'm saying yeah. because i'm sitting here going this is the truth of the me- of what i'm and i'm trying to commute i'm trying to articulate it in such a way that i actually lose the ability to communicate whereas it sounds like what you're talking about with the hysteric that is like kind of a, a thing as well like they can't communicate oh, the yeah. truth that they're experiencing yeah um and so anyway yeah i'm i'm yeah. excited to kind of keep an eye on it and see how it uh often it it happens because I know the reason I give crap to people like Ben Shapiro and all that stuff is because I also can latch on to the bullet point mentality. Like if I had this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, I can lock down any, any ambiguity in an argument, whether it's in a relationship or at my job or talking politics. Like I know if I just know all the right stuff, uh, I can have the right opinion and that'll make me feel comfortable. But uh, at the end of the day, it's not the case. It is. I mean, like when you're dealing with somebody who's got an obsessive structure in general, like personally, it's they they are so they've set up so many defenses against the unknown and the 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 contradictions of life and the antagonisms of life that it's and that so much of the work is about helping that person be able to face that. Yeah. With someone who's more hysterical, they they're very comfortable with it with that, and they'll talk all day if if you let them about their relationships and problems and all the things that are going on um but there's a you know but but there's issues there as well like if you can actually if you you can have a very productive talk between an obsessive and a hysteric if the obsessive says i think you're you're experiencing something that is deeply true um and so they're open to that antagonism and then the hysteric is saying and you potentially have like a, a very reasonable way of helping us think through this. Like yeah. You can have you can have a very productive kind of conversation. Yeah, that's that's you know? funny. That's a, a nice way to end it because it's talking about how to actually communicate and move forward in communication rather uh, than just articulating exactly why no one is hearing anybody ever on, <laughs> in the world currently. Yeah. Which I like. Uh anyway, any okay. closing thoughts or is that it? Are you good? I mean I feel very good about it. Yeah, I think so. I mean as long as I fe- always feel like, oh you know, is that we is that clear enough? But yeah, the whole thing of ideology is if you have a position that that you feel is not falsifiable, 
um, and that you kind of, it's like a lens through which you see everything, that you're caught up in ideology. But if you are have a position that is genuinely open to change through interaction with the world and other people, then uh, you're probably more free. Uh, but I'm going to contradict myself and say, but to a certain extent, to be human is to be caught in ideology. What you want is an ideology that is broken. In other words, an ideology that helps you not avoid the complexities of life, but that weirdly helps you confront it and make a contract with it or make peace with it or even, you know, that. and there are ideologies that do that. There are ways of thinking about the world that actually help you confront the complexities of life. I think it's beautiful and I think it's fine if you contradict yourself because I understand that you're hysteric and I'm sure that whatever you're experiencing <laughs> right now, there is some truth to it. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.